God's ways are not our ways. By Apostle Jacqueline Fedor. God's ways are admittedly not our ways, as seen from the Bible. These scriptures plainly give us the reason. Genesis chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, and verse 8. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. God warned her. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. He lied. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, the eyes of your soul, man, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit, knowledge, and ate. She consumed Satan's lies. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. She ignored God's warning, let Satan feed her his lies, and fed them to Adam. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, separate themselves from God among the trees of the garden. They were no longer connected to God through their spirits, were uncomfortable in his presence, and their ways became contrary to his. Eve chose Satan's logic over God's direction, and as her descendants, we continue making the same wrong choices today. This is why people really in tune with the Father appear weird to the world and her people. Their minds, vision for life, and their agendas are much different than the world's society. God's family is therefore looked upon with disdain and their ways criticized and mocked. Why? Because, as stated in Genesis chapter 3, worldly knowledge comes from the wrong sinister source. Satan's ways are not God's ways either. Let us investigate a few examples from Bible history where intellectuals or people walking in worldly wisdom found the way of God strange and at times even completely foreign to their minds. For instance, we know God loves families and even gives advice to mothers and fathers as to how to raise their children. And he advises the children as well how to respect and love their parents. Yet, let us read an account from 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. She enjoyed him as an infant, but when it was time to wean him, Look what happened. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 24. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. There is a great bond between a baby that is nursed and its mother. But let us read on. First Samuel chapter 1. Verses 27 and 28. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. 
Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. Hannah had cried out for years to God, begging for a child, but then gave him up to the priesthood to serve God for life. But you know what? He grew up to be the head of God's government. And even though God's people wanted a king they could choose for themselves, like the pagan nations, before Samuel went out of office, he anointed young David, God's choice, to replace that king. God chose this particular person and made him king, so Jesus could later be born to David's family line and inherit his throne. God's way, again, was maybe not the way of man, but he did nevertheless have his way through the obedient vessel, Hannah's child. A plan he had devised before the earth was formed was therefore still on track. David also had a heart for God, and although made mistakes, always submitted in the end and accepted his ways. Again, we will see, man did not understand his actions either. For instance, his child was very ill, as we see in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. His reaction was not what they expected. So David arose from the ground washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. He did things God's way and man simply could not understand. They probably thought him cruel and uncaring to not mourn the dead, but he understood God's love and trusted God's decision. People do not comprehend the actions of God's people any better today. Their ways are not the way of the world. There is another example in Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 and 10, I would like us to look at that is also difficult for the natural man to comprehend. And yet, the actions of this beloved man of God had a part in making every promise the Lord had ever made to us today a reality. Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 and 10. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar, upon the wood, 
And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. How many people would ever understand this, let alone be able to trust God's mercy and righteousness enough to carry out these directions? Abraham passed God's test of faith, and Isaac lived to father Jacob, who in turn fathered the heads of the twelve tribes of Israel, one of whom was Judah. Through Judah's bloodline, King David, that we just read about, was born, and later, Jesus would be made heir to his throne and known as the Lion of Judah. Most of the Adamic race could not fathom walking in the faith Abraham had and would be horrified if asked to do the same today. But Father Abraham fully trusted in God's goodness, and because of his obedience and faith, we as his descendants can be benefactors of the covenant made to him. Romans chapter 4 verse 13 shows us Abraham's seed actually inherits the world. All is ours. Romans chapter 4 verse 13 For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Who are considered Abraham's seed, many ask. Again, God's ways are not the ways of men. Let us study from Galatians, the third chapter. Galatians, chapter 3, verses 27 through 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, the line of Judah, the greater David. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Is this not exciting news? Because of Hannah's obedience, Samuel's obedience, David and Christ's obedience, we can today enter into a new covenant with Jesus through baptism, seal it through communion, which in turn entitles us to the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant as heirs of the world, the double blessed. So not only can we be born new righteous creatures through Christ's new covenant, we are given the earth to rebuild, renew, take possession and establish the kingdom of God through the covenant of Abraham as his children. Are God's ways not far better than man's? How all this was so well thought out and accomplished for humanity is far beyond the soulish mind's understanding. Let us look at the ultimate sacrifice of God and his direct part in the plan as found in Matthew chapter 27 verses 46 and verse 50. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He died in our place for our sins. He sacrificed himself. He took every sin and the curses it brought on humanity to the grave with him. He died for the sins of not only man, but the land and all life on it that was corrupted by the transfer of dominion from Adam and Eve to Satan in the garden. What the enemy didn't understand was, 
In the bodysuit of Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The only way God could redeem mankind and set him free from their wrong choice in the garden was to sacrifice the ultimate sacrifice, the creator of that race. He would then resurrect, defeating all opposition, and allow another race of new creatures to come forth through him. God allowed fallen mankind and the enemy that directed him to spit on him, pull his beard out, beat him, and nail him to a pagan religious symbol. He was both cursed and despised, but all penalties required by spiritual law were fulfilled. God's ways are certainly not ours. God, however, had made a promise to Abraham and his descendants many years before to bless multiply, and return the earth to them. The enemy caused God's people to rebel, be disobedient, refuse God's government and economy, on and on, trying to cause God to break his promise to Abraham and his seed. But let us read Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God will always keep his promises. Let us close with these thoughts. Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Psalm chapter 89, verses 34 through 36. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. Matthew chapter 1 Verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God's covenant with Abraham is God's irrevocable pledge that he will remain the God of Abraham and his seed forever, and that he will enforce all he has promised to his children. The blood sacrifice of Christ makes us righteous Communion allows us to enter into a blood covenant relationship with him and eligible, therefore, to the Abrahamic covenant. Now, with better understanding, let us reread Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God's covenant to Abraham's seed is fulfilled in us because of the covenant of Christ. Are we not glad that God's ways are not our ways or that he is not limited to what we understand?